books I've received. It's a, real, it's a real good book. It's a book of quotes and different common sense things. Let me read a couple of things to you here that'll be a blessing to you, I hope. Um, I love to read short things because my uh, mind is short. And so I like to read short things. So I hope these things will be good for you and also lead us into this lesson for today. Here's some things that are just random things. Uh, next month is, of course, what? Let's say Thanksgiving. Not Thanksgiving. Valentine's Day. So it's love. <laughs> Faults are thick where love is thin. Now you have to think about that. Some of these you have to think. You, you can't just, you have to think, all right? Faults are thick where love is thin. What does that mean? If you can figure that out, you've pretty much got common sense. And if you can't figure it out, uh, I know someone you can see to help you have common sense. Um, if you see a snake, just kill it. Don't appoint a committee on snakes. Now, isn't that good common sense? That makes a lot of sense. Seeing ourselves as others see us is usually a terrible letdown. <laughs> You didn't get that, Francis? All right, well that didn't work too well for you. Uh, now this one is really good. What I truly value, I do. That's good. That's true. All right, he that will have eggs must bear with cackling. There's a verse for that along that line. Where no oxen are, the crib is clean. But much increases by the strength of the ox. Proverbs 14. That's very true. So if you want to have something, you have to pay the price to have that something. If it's of value to you, you have to go through the stuff you got to do to achieve that or have that. Nothing's really easy in life. Nothing's really free in life. Only thing free in life is salvation. And so um, people complain too much about, I got to work? What? They apply for a job. You know, these millennials, whoever they are. Apply for work. Okay, what do you require of me? Eight o'clock, show up. In the morning? <laughs> and they demand so many things, and it's like they want something for nothing. That's not reality, that's just being spoiled. Uh, here's one last one by Mark Twain. Put all your eggs in one basket, and watch the basket. That is so true. You gotta keep the eye on things because people are not always honest as you are. By the way, because you're an honest person, if you are, you tend to think everybody's honest like you are, but you, you just cannot assume that in life because there's a lot of dishonest people in this world and they would take advantage of honest people. Yeah. You can become, quote, gullible in the name of being trusting and people will take you for a ride and then drop you off over a cliff. Yes. Yes. So you gotta be very cautious about some things. It's not to say be cynical about life, but be cynical about life. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, I gotta tell you this, Nathan gave this to me or sent it to me. Uh, people are shocked when they find out I'm not a very good electrician. <laughs> now, if you don't get that one, you're not a very good human. All right. Let's go to the book of Matthew chapter 8. I'm continuing the lessons on the life of Christ. It's been seven or eight lessons now. I kind of almost lost track, but uh, there's not a more important person to learn about than the Lord Jesus Christ. Not a more important person in history than the Lord Jesus Christ. Not a more important person in your life than the Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone else is secondary. Everyone else is far below uh, of importance. And so it's through him we have eternal life. It's through him we have life itself. And so we need to make our time to study about the Lord himself. It's good to study about the Bible, but let's study about the Lord himself. And it's very easy to get distracted by good things and ignore the most important man in human history. And he is the most important man in human history, speaking uh, about a man who was born in human history. And so everything in life, time-wise, goes back to B.C. or A.D., year of our Lord, or before Christ. Now they've changed everything to B.C.E., common area. This seems to be a real push to remove any reference to the man Jesus Christ in history. It's no longer Easter break, it's spring break. Uh, it's no longer Christmas, it's Xmas, things like that. So all these things take place in, in this life, and we're not surprised by the attempt to remove from the minds of people Jesus Christ. Don't you find that funny? The most important man in human history, a man should know, a woman should know, they try to erase him from your mind because they want you to ignore him. 
That tells you a lot about what's behind the scenes. All right, let's go to Matthew chapter 8. Uh, the Lord has been criticized in Jerusalem. He now moves north to Capernaum, goes back to his hometown as an adult. He has a place to stay there. He has a place that he calls home. He, he hosts people there. He entertains people there. And he goes back, to, he retreats there back to his house in Capernaum. So let's go to Matthew chapter 8, verse number 14. And as you turn there, let's pray. Father, thank you for letting us be in church. And we ask your blessings from Sunday school. Help us to really learn some things about you. And help us to get a blessing from learning about you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 8, verse number 14. 8, 14. And when Jesus was come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother laid and sick of a fever. Well, this is very interesting to begin in verse number 14. Um, he goes to Peter's house, Simon Peter's house, and his mother-in-law is there. Now, speculation is that she is living with Peter, or Peter's living with them, don't know. But she's in this house, we do know that because it says so. And uh, previous healings was of a centurion servant long distance. You remember that story where a man came to uh, the Lord and says, my, the centurion did, my servant is sick, would you please come? And before he could go to that location where the servant was of the centurion, he heals the centurion at a certain hour, long distance. Never touched him, never laid eyes on him, and he healed this man long distance, which is pretty much, uh, okay, it's not hard for God to do. But now he comes to this home, and uh, Peter's house, and his mother, Peter's mother, is sick of a fever. Don't know what her temperature was, but she must have been hot enough in her head where she could not do a routine uh, thing in her home, which is, in this case, entertain people, be hospitable toward them. And so she has to pause because she's got a fever. You ever get a real high fever? Oh, when kids have a high fever, it's kind of scary, you know? And I remember when Nathan was small, small like that small, or small like that, and he got a fever one time down here when he was living on, in Honolulu, and Miranda put him in a tub of, of, of uh, just water to cool him off and then put a wet uh, hand towel, um, wash rag over his forehead to cool off his temperature. He wasn't getting any, any cooler, but he was hot. He was hot. And so, don't know what her temperature was, but she had a fever, the Bible says. And so he comes in uh, uh, Peter's home, and in verse number 15, he touches her hand, verse 15. Didn't touch her head. He touches her hand. And the fever left her, and she arose and ministered unto him. Now, I make a point out of the fact that he touched her hand and not her head. That's where the fever was, but her whole body was affected by it. And some people think you must touch where there is an ailment for it to be healed, as if there's power in your hands to transfer some kind of energy or some kind of force to somebody. If he's got a tumor over here, or got a problem with the lungs, or the problem, you know, we gotta to touch what is the problem. But here he didn't touch the exact location of what the problem was for fever, just touch her hand gently. Now maybe her hand was like that, she, he just did, it's a, a touch of the hand, and the fever went away. So you wanna be careful about people who talk about you know, healing people and how they uh, have to touch the exact location of where you have a problem uh, as if there's a some kind of transference of your energy into that person's body I think there's a little secular superstitious um, new age kind of thing where you can put your hand over somebody and then uh, without touching them they'll get healed uh, be careful about these kind of things there's a there's a person called the devil there's a force called demonic forces and sometimes they can do things that will get you to believe that, oh, this is great. And all that is somehow to disguise the real power which comes from God. And the real source of help which is God. And now it's now um, facsimile into this person or this, you know. So uh, he touched her hand and her fever went. And so uh, there's various ways in which Jesus did miracles. Here he touched the hand and uh, another time he did long distance. Sometimes he made mud. He made mud and put it in someone's eyes in John 9. And that person got healed of his blindness. That's pretty unique. That's uh, alternative medicine. <laughs> hey, doc, I can't see. Uh, well, let me try this, that, another thing. And then somebody says, hey, here, let me put some mud on your face and your eyes, and you can see. Well, that'd be something different, you know. That's real non-Western medicine. All right, now, Peter's wife. By the way, Peter's wife. Peter had a wife, apparently. And apparently, Peter was married, apparently. And apparently, uh, the first Pope of Rome was married, apparently. And what is apparent too is that Peter was not the first Pope of Rome, even though the tradition says that. And it's a belief tradition after all these centuries. 
And it's amazing to me how sometimes people can say a denomination, a church can say something, a system can say something, and all of a sudden it is a fact. Uh, this, the saying is, say something enough and long enough, and people believe it. That's really true. And so uh, Peter, of course, was married. And uh, in the New Testament, were pastors married? Were preachers married in the New Testament? Oh, let me rephrase that. Were they forbidden to be married? Well, how come then the Roman Catholic priesthood, they're supposed to be celibate? They're supposed to be without a wife? Don't you find that odd how something so unbiblical is so accepted? And don't you find it odd that when you point that out, it's like you are hateful yeah. and that you are mean-spirited? Yeah. Now look at me. Am I mean-spirited? <laughs> I have a George Bush smile, but I'm not mean-spirited. It's just that the truth is this, and the truth contradicts something else. I don't know what you can do with that except, well, if this is the truth, this must not be the truth. If this is the truth, politicians say that's an untruth. Well, if this is the truth, then this is not the truth. If this is the truth, then this is a lie. Amen. Now, I'm not advocating making enemies of anybody, but the truth is the truth. Amen. And the truth will make you free. Right. Free. It's good to be free. It's good not to be on the bondage of a religion or some system that makes you sweat out every day. I don't know if I'm safe. I have to achieve certain things to become a Christian, to maintain my salvation. Uh, the truth will make you free. And so, Peter's life. How do we get that out of that? Well, it's there. Matthew 8, 15. He touched her hand. Fever's gone and uh, all that. Verse number 8, 15 again. And she arose and ministered to them. Apparently, as I said earlier, that she must have been serving her, her company. But she had to stop because her headache was bothering her. Her fever's bothering her so much. And so she was relieved of her fever. Immediately, she was. Quickly, just like that. And uh, a sure mark of gratitude is that she quickly, when she recovered, where was I? Oh man, where was I? Okay, listen, I was, I was, okay. And she continued doing what she was doing. I find that kind of cute. I find that kind of sweet that she was interrupted in what she was doing. I'm guessing here, but then she quickly picked up where she left off, my guess. And would you be just like someone who is grateful for the Lord doing something for them? Now every once in a while you have to be pumped pushed um, um, uh, people like wheelbarrows sometimes Christians are they have to be pushed <laughs> that's pretty good yeah people like wheelbarrows they have to be pushed because sometimes we get lazy sometimes we feel kind of uh, and we get overcome by a circumstance and we just feel wiped out and so on so sometimes we have to be pushed or we have to be exhorted to do service to the Lord but really when you think about this the Christian who has realized that the Lord has touched them, that Christian is just glad to do something for Christ. He's just glad to serve and do something for him. They're just happy to do something. And the happiest people in the world are Christians who are serving God. The happiest people are the ones who are doing something for somebody else besides themselves. Um, and so she continued doing something that she may have had to stop because of her fever. And so a sure mark of gratitude is servitude. That's not mine, but it sounded good. Um, Matthew chapter 8, verse number 16. And when the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils. Now, um, word gets around. Wherever Jesus went and did some spectacular thing, it got spread abroad. The best promotion, the best advertising is, of course, word of mouth. Uh, businesses always say, if you don't advertise, no one's going to know where you are. It's like you're in the dark. Only you know where you are kind of things. So you have to advertise. It's been a lot of money to advertise. Jesus never advertised anything. He never had anyone promote him uh, except John the Baptist. But um, he just did what he did. And when he did that, people noticed it. People began to tell other people about what happened here in this house of uh, Peter and other miracles. And so they began to flock to him. They began to come to him. Who came to him? Who came to Christ because he did something spectacular and miraculous? Who came to him? Well, it says in verse number uh, 16, when the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils. Number one, people who had a spiritual problem with, with demonic activity. Number two, he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. So two kinds of people came to him. Those people 
brought friends or relatives or someone that had a problem spiritually and they brought people who were sick physically so two kinds of people came to him and the crowd just came to him it was just natural to come to get some relief to get some help to get a miracle of some sort now that tells me something failed that they came to Christ wherever he went and flocked to him and brought people from afar even they got there as soon as they could because something failed number one medical attention failed number two the spiritual problems nobody could fix so out of desperation they came to the one who was doing some things about those problems and that's why people flocked to him I think so his popularity began to explode not so much because they loved him but because he fed them <laughs> wouldn't you go to some place that gave you free food you ever go to Ruth's Chris do they give you free food Ruth's Chris no, everything's a la carte and it costs a lot when the bill comes to you. And uh, I don't know what your favorite food is, but I like I like uh, I like lasagna. Thank you, David. Lasagna is outstanding. And I like Italian food. I like uh, I like some local food. I don't like Hawaiian food. Uh, I don't like I don't like poke. I don't eat poke. Poke is not good for to eat. I, I cannot eat anything raw. Now the argument is, of course, uh, it's cooked, but uh, you can't convince me that it's cooked. But uh, everything has to be done well. I've, I've seen some uh, places on TV where you have these um, great grill out competition, St. Louis, um, Georgia, different states. Everybody's got their regional great way of doing ribs and uh, all those kind of things. And it looks so good. You can even smell it through the screen as it's being grilled. And then when they flip that thing, they get that, and it is like, wow, that is so awesome. That could be my favorite meal, uh, baby back ribs. Why am I telling all these things? And so uh, there was a point, what was I saying, Miranda? Free food. Oh, free food. Now, if uh, um, uh, a local favorite restaurant offered free food, you know where I'd go? I'd go there. Uh, the other day I was doing some walking, and... I was passing the tracks as I was going, and I saw this line by Don Quixote by Alamoana. I'm walking by the minimum business. I see this line at the Catholic Church. What's going on? It was a food bank, free food donation, distribution kind of thing. Cars were lined up around the block. People lined up walking in. So they had two lines, cars, and walk in to get stuff. And so it was packed. It went on, and by the time I came back, it was over an hour, and uh, there's still a long line in both ways, cars and people waiting to get some free food. Well, people came to Jesus for those reasons and for healing and for things that nobody could help them with. They were bound, they were uh, desperate, and they came to Christ for those reasons. And um, well, now I believe in medicine. I believe in med I believe in good doctors and good medicine. I believe in all these kind of things. It's very needful. I believe in good dentists. Can you imagine the days when you didn't have dentistry, modern dentistry? I think it was told, I'm not sure, I haven't confirmed this, but it sounds good, it makes a point. I think before you had modern dentistry, the blacksmith was the dentist. Don't know if that's true, but it sure sounds like I don't want to be living that generation. Blacksmith? He works on a horseshoe and then he works on your mouth? The blacksmith? Ay, ay, ay. I'm not eating any hard candy anymore. I want to take care of my teeth. And so uh, they come to Jesus because of the talk, because of the, quote, success, because of the miracles he was doing. And he cast out the spirits, it says, with his word. Okay. He cast out the spirits with his word, and he healed with his word. He just said so, and it happened. Now, why should that surprise anybody that he can do that? Remember back in Genesis chapter 1? where he spoke things into existence. Everything that you see with the naked eye, with the telescope, with the microscope, Amen. he made because he spoke it into existence. That's pretty much powerful. And then he upholds all things by the word of his power in Colossians chapter 1. Doesn't that tell you that what he says, he's got the authority, he's all-powerful, and he's omnipotent, and he can speak things into existence, and he can speak things into obliviate, obliviate, help me. Into obliviation. Is that, a, is that a right word? Did that just make that up? What is it, Kristen? That's what I said. And so that's all powerful, ladies and gentlemen. He has the authority to do that. 
and he speaks to these things and he he just touches her head and fever's gone like right now and the demons are cast out right now and everything is happening right now because he is the all-powerful almighty god amen all right and so whatever the Jehovah's witnesses say it's not true they say he is a god john 1 1 he is a god and that little a and that little G-O-D compared to capital G-O-D, John 1-1, one, one, look it up sometime. You'll find out that he says, he, in the beginning of the word, where with God, the word was God, not a God. And so they changed that because they have a corrupt Greek manuscript that would produce their corrupt English translation. So I find here in the Bible very consistent that the Lord can do the miraculous because he's God. And there's nothing too hard for him. His arm is not short that he cannot save. His, he, look. Uh, I, I think, uh, when I say I think, I'm, I'm not being forced from up, but I believe that God can still do the miraculous, the healing of the body. There's no problem with that for him doing that. He hasn't gotten weaker because it's been 2,000 years since he was on earth. Okay, he hasn't gotten weaker because he is God and he doesn't diminish in his strength. He does say in Isaiah that the earth will fade away, it'll fold like a garment, everything's going to go kaput. That's what the Hebrew language is. It's going to go kaput. <laughs> but he is the same. Hebrew says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's his character. That's his being. That's his nature. He never would diminish in strength at all. So if he heals, he possibly, I mean, he can do anything he wants to. All right? And so uh, look at John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Turn over there with me. John chapter 6. Many that were possessed with devils. And he cast him up with his word. And he healed people with his word. The words that he speaks, man, they are powerful words. John 6, 63. Here's what the Bible says. It is the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. His words are spiritual words and they are life words. They are life-giving words. Now, people today... Uh, sometimes you hear me repetitiously saying about these fake healers or fake healers on TV and it's not that I want to just bore you or uh, become redundant about these things but it is a real problem where people they say they teach people say this and you can create reality well if you can say something and create reality you're like God because God said something and created reality in fact you read Genesis chapter 1 and he said, and God said over nine times, God said, and God said, God said, nine times in Genesis chapter one, nine times said, God said, and then boom, it happened. Yeah. And today, some silly man is saying, just say it, believe it, and it's going to happen. I will never forget a lady in Colorado. She is the pastor of the Happy Church. Now her daughter is. And I saw her in the old big tube screen TV back in the old days I actually saw her on a Sunday she was saying where's my wallet honey can you throw my wallet or Francis can you throw my wallet from there please I'd like to make this point you know the wallet with a lot of money in it throw it <laughs> front pouch <laughs> oh, you funny man. You funny guy. You funny guy. All right. Here's what she said. Speak to your wallet. She says, speak to your wallet. And say to Billfoot, Billfoot, you're full of money. And believe it that it is. Then she pulls out a checkbook. She says, now say to your checkbook, checkbook, you're full of money. And the whole congregation of 4,000 says, she, they repeat it, checkbook, you're full of money. And she said, just believe it. Now, folks, you cannot, you cannot spend on that basis. You cannot buy on that basis. You're a child in fantasy land. You believe in the Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. <laughs> you are just immature. You're, you're gullible. You're being taken for a ride. We dropped off a cliff. And uh, all these kind of nonsense things. So the only one that can speak things into reality is God himself. Amen. Right? That's only God can do that. And so he speaks, and the devils scram. All the physical things that he did all dealt with right away because 
when he speaks, his word has authority. His word has power. Nobody can scream loud enough. Nobody can jump them down loud enough. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, there are some people who did that. They were crying and cutting, jumping up and down like a bunch of Comanche Indians, they say, or like a bunch of Chinese doing a Chinese fire drill. They go around and circle on his altar, jumping up and down, hoop, hooping and hollering, and trying to get their God's attention. And now I just back up here like this. You need to call louder. He might be on a far trip. Or he might be asleep. You need to really get his attention so they get not to cut themselves. It's a bloody mess. And they did all these things, all this gyrations, all this religious stuff to, to get their God's attention, and it ain't working. And people today, they do all kind of things in the name of religion, in the name of faith, and uh, they're going to heal people and cast out devils and raise the dead, and it ain't happening. The part of the bad grammar, but it ain't happening because it ain't happening because their word has no power. We have no power. We don't. Um, it's incredible what people believe, but yet... It's incredible how revealing and how enlightening the Bible is if you just accept what it says. All right, so his words are life. They're spirit, they're life. And so you can demand, yell at demons and tell them, leave that guy. <laughs> and they'll jump in you. They're getting you. I wouldn't play with that. Uh, Matthew 8, 16. When the evil has come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils and cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. Notice that the healing that he did for those who are physically sick, it says there's one little word here that makes all the difference in the world. And healed. You know, we, I can't believe this. No, man. <coughs> oh, I could bet not easily at 30. <laughs> he healed. <coughs> Now, I don't know how you identify the word all as, but as far as I can tell, all covers a lot of territory. All. He healed all. So, a hundred people came to him, A, B, C, D, he healed them all. Whatever the problem was, they came to him and he healed all of them. Now, that tells me a lot in contrast to what Jesus really did and what people today say that they can do like Jesus did with the greater works than he did. Uh, um, I don't think so. I don't think so because there is a failure rate in these healers' crusades. There's a failure rate. And if there's a failure rate, you know who they blame? They blame you that you don't have enough faith. Number two, they blame the environment. It's not spiritual enough. There's not enough mood music. See? And so they blame everyone else except them for being the failure. Now, if it was reviewed as to how many fillers there were at these Benny Hinn crusades and everybody else, it's, it's, it's astounding to me how people can still flock and attend and give and support when they don't have a 100% success rate. It's amazing to me how people can be so gullible. I blame Christians for being ignorant and being not, they don't read the Bible and rightly divide it. They just go to some charismatic type of a person who has a speaking ability or some of the hymns that they're hearing or some music they're hearing. It feels so, okay, okay, fine. But the product, the results, is not like Jesus' results. When the Lord touches somebody, they're well. When the Lord speaks the word, it's done. There's no failure rate. success, alright? Yeah. And if you had, as a prophet, 95% success rate, you're not a prophet of God. And if you try to heal somebody, pretend to be a healer, um, whatever you think about Trump, he calls it fake news, okay, well that became a very, it's part of our vocabulary now because uh, of what he said, and it actually, it's been a part of the vocabulary for the New Testament church for many centuries because uh, all this time you've had people faking being a prophet and apostle of God when they're not. 
That's not being mean. That's just being truthful. We don't need to make enemies because we don't have to make enemies. We we'll let the word of God be the the source of the problem because we're not the problem. We're just newspaper boys saying extra, extra. Read all about. It. That's all we're doing. And uh, so uh, Matthew eight sixteen, he healed all their sick. And so uh, once again, I want to say that I believe in doctors. You should too. You should believe in modern medicine. You should also believe in alternative medicine. Some of those things are pretty good. Some of those things are pretty good. I'm not much of an acupuncture fan because unlike needles, but I've talked to people who are acupuncturists, they swear by it, and patients have sworn by it. So I'm not gonna say, oh, it's just you know, hocus pocus. I'm not gonna say that because I think there's some things that are beyond traditional Western medicine that is good. I don't know exactly what they are, but I know that in China they had all kind of things done, and uh, uh, they, they had uh, medicines that were very unorthodox. My mother used to go down to Chinatown and buy all this stuff from the apothecary. It was like, what? You want me to swallow that, Mom? <laughs> well, I'm alive. <laughs> you know? Some of the stuff that she made was like, it looked like, I'm not sure it looked like, but the, the mixture of stuff, and you know, the kind of, hey, drink this. What am I drinking? Just drink it. <laughs> I'm you. <laughs> Oh boy, I tell you, so for centuries they've had stuff in the East to do things that have been helping. Now it's coming up to the West and now they're adopting it. Now it's more acceptable. Something even uh, covered by insurance nowadays. Okay, maybe those things are all healthy and good. I know one thing, the most successful cure you can have of any kind of ailment is essential oils. <laughs> It'll cure you of everything. The car don't start, Essential oil. <laughs> Don't laugh. I've tried it. <laughs> Flat tire, essential oil. <laughs> I'm making fun, but I know that sometimes it does help. And when my wife, she does the little, what do you call that thing? You you plug it in and the diffuser. diffuser. Oh, that is so good. That uh, um, What's that one that makes you go to sleep? Yeah. Lavender. Yeah. Lavender. Yeah. Oh, that is so relaxing. Yeah, it works. All right, so uh, doctors can do good, medicine can do good, but go to the great physician Amen. because he does it the best and he does it right. And if it is his will, and you should ask for healing, you should ask for um, things that affect your body, you should, you should, you should, you should. James says you should. James said you should. But it's because, not but, you should ask because he can yes and it's a matter if he will now you know what real faith is real faith real faith true faith but true faith is letting god So that is real faith. Now those who do not believe that you should always say, if the Lord will, they say it's a lack of faith. May I tell you this? To say, if the Lord will, James talks about that. To say, if the Lord will, is to show ultimate faith in God to do what is right and do what's good for you. Uh, Warren Wiersbe has a good saying. He says, things happen, uh, it's for the glory of God and for your good. What a good truth. For your good and for the glory of God, yes. which is very true. So it's perfectly legitimate to ask God to heal and to ask Him to do the miraculous because He can. And it's perfectly okay and right and spiritual and all faith to say, Lord, if this is your will, yes. if this is your will. You can apply that if this is your will to getting married. Yes, absolutely. To getting married. So I'm going to stop for about a minute and, and give you two examples about that. And then... Hopefully you understand that this is real and that if it is his will, it's the best thing that can happen to any believer, any Christian. Uh, I almost married the wrong woman years ago because I was pressured by the pastor's wife to get married too soon. Imagine that, the pressures, pressures of the pastor's wife. When do you get married, Cam? Other oh, Marines are getting married, but me. My age, not getting married. So pressure to find a wife to get married to, bad stuff. And then uh, eventually, Eventually, church secretary setting me up with 
her daughter coming from California. Did I ever tell you this story? I have, haven't I? So I won't tell it again. But the point was, we talked about getting engaged after being just for two weeks because we were both desperate. We were both looking to get married. And the pressure was pushing us, pushing us, pushing us to make a decision that we were gonna do it um, prematurely. And so, uh, after a while, got a letter from that girl because back then there was only snail mail. Snail mail means it comes in the mail, it takes about five days from California. And then uh, the letter began like this. Dear Cam, it was not sweetheart, it was not honey, it was dear Cam. That's not a good start to a letter. <laughs> <laughs> to someone who you talked about getting married to? Dear Cam, I had such a wonderful time in Hawaii. Those two weeks were so wonderful. Next period, next sentence. However, <laughs> you laugh, you laugh, you laugh now. I laugh now. I did not laugh then. <laughs> However, we cannot get married. Period. You see, see, I'm not even reading from my notes. I'm just reading from memory because I remember what it said. You see, you cannot get. We cannot get married. You see, because. One, she didn't say one, but I said one. Because I have a boyfriend. <laughs> you lying rat. <laughs> I have a boyfriend. Number two. And I am pregnant. Number three. He's in the Vacaville prison. Do you know what I do with that letter? I folded that letter, put it back in the envelope, went to my trash can, and dumped it there. Now, it didn't bother me because the night before, actually, literally the night before, I was so scared of, of this transaction, this relationship that could be permanent and could be a disaster. I didn't know. My emotions was like that, but I, so I said, I said, I, I, in my ignorance, in my, my youthful life as a Christian, I said, well, I didn't say, well, I said, Lord, I don't know what to do. I said, I'm scared of making a bad decision. And I said, if I don't, you have to really make it plain to me if this is the one or not the one. Make it real plain to me. Next day, letter came in the mail. Now, I don't believe in coincidences, but that was a that was providential. And uh, the letter came in there, and I read. That's why I was so calm about the whole thing, because that was, and it struck me that was the answer. And the next Sunday, that was on the third. The next Sunday, I was in church, sitting there, looking, minding my own business, and I see this girl standing, facing away from me. I'm saying, who in the world is that? We're all shaking hands, and she's standing over here, and uh, her hair was longer now. She now had a figure. <laughs> I said, who's that? And she turned around, and it was her. Horn rim glasses from the 60s. But this was the 1970s, 73. And I said, Miranda? That can't be Miranda. Well, three years have passed from roly-poly to a beautiful young lady. <laughs> I didn't mean to say it like that. I, mean, I, I didn't mean to. No, that's not what I meant. I meant to. I meant to say. Stop. I meant to say. I meant to say. I was looking for a guy. I didn't mean to say that either. Not a guy. I'm looking for a woman my age, which would be a more mature person, a woman. <laughs> And she turned around and said, I can't believe this. And therein began the relationship with her and so on. And we got married in 1979. Now, I almost made a tragic mistake. What? 1977. Oh, 77. <laughs> so I'm all messed up. Uh, so the Lord said no. The Lord said no. I accepted the no. And... It was for my good. Amen. It was for my good. So Wisdom's quote is very true. And it's still true for all of us. Can God heal? Oh, absolutely. Will he heal? Up to him. Who's driving the car? You know, kids in the backseat. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Uh, not yet. Two minutes later. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Grandpa, are we there yet? No. When do we want to get there? Just hang on, we'll be there when we get there. Now they have to sit back and trust the driver of the car to get them where they wanna go. If I begin to tell them, um, we're gonna to go to a place, we're gonna to go to the park, we're gonna have a lot of fun, we're gonna do this or that. Oh, can't wait, can't. are we there yet, are we there yet? Well, they're anxious to get there because they're anxious to get there. 
but the driver knows the speed limit the driver knows the road the driver knows how much time it's going to take the kid just back there wants to get there now you just got to sit back relax enjoy the ride because when they get there it'll be worth it Amen. and it was worth it getting married to her now you may have the same story different circumstances but the, it all is the true principle that is for the glory of God and for our good and so the Lord can do what he wants to do and he can do that ask him all right, and uh, he healed all the sick. No fears, no excuses with the Lord. He does it all. He does it right. And then uh, Matthew 8, verse number 17. Interesting thing here, Matthew 8, 17. That it might be fulfilled, the healings, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Now, cross-reference that to the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. Turn there, please. Isaiah, chapter 53. This is what Matthew quotes. Isaiah 53. Now, this is interesting because he quotes the verse or a chapter that's about spiritual healing. And he equates what happened in the, in the miracles and the healings with, with Isaiah 53. In verse number 4, 53-4, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Verse 5, But uh, he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Now, the latter part of verse number five, by his stripes we are healed, uh, people say that healing is in the atonement. Now, I'm going to say Matthew misinterpreted what Isaiah says. I'm not going to say that. But the, the content of Isaiah 53 fundamentally is about spiritual healing because of the crucifixion of Christ. Amen. We are healed in what sense? We're healed in a spiritual sense. The greater healing is spiritual healing. But he is saying what happened there in Matthew 8 is because of fulfillment of prophecy, Isaiah 53. I'm not sure why that is the connection, but I can see that people who uh, are distressed because of demonic possession or physical problems, I can see that. There's no peace there, but um, I, I'm not sure why Matthew would quote that scripture as a reference point to the healing that is a fulfillment of the prophecies. Well, one thing is for sure, the greater miracle is not the body being healed, but the spiritual being healed. The forgiveness of sins, the washing of all of your sins so that God sees you as righteous, as he sees his son righteous, that God sees you as justified as much as his son is righteous. The whole thing, that's a miraculous healing. Just think about this, the sinner who is just at war with God he is unclean. He's undone. Isaiah says, woe is me. When he saw himself as he saw, as God saw him, he says, woe is me. Uh, I, I'm uh, putrefying. The whole thing, putrefying. The whole work. He says, I'm totally unfit to be in the presence of the king. But by the death of Christ, by his atonement, by his shed blood, he covers, he washes away our sins. And before God, we're white as a Caucasian. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. What is a Caucasian? from Michigan in January. <laughs> Matthew chapter 8. Let's try to get more out. Matthew chapter 8, verse number 19. Now there's a teaching he gives about discipleship. It's pretty stern. Uh, verse number 18, 9, uh, 9.18. Uh, now when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave commandment to depart unto the other side. Now, Remember, he was in Peter's house. There's a crowd of people now around the house. Now, another time there's a crowd of people around another man's house in the Old Testament, it was not a good thing. This crowd is a good crowd. This crowd is, they're coming out of desperation to get help from the Lord because they're, they're just unable to get anywhere else. There's another crowd in the Old Testament, people crowd of the house, it was not a good crowd at all. It's a very wicked crowd. This crowd came around the house of a man named Lot. And there were two strangers in town. And they wanted to come in to this house and get the guys out. So they may, they may know him. Now that know him is a very graphic, um, proper way of saying, you know what? That's used also in Matthew where Jesus was born and uh, she was found a child. And Joseph and uh, Mary had not come together. She, he did not know her. So that's in that context. 
They, and in that context, they want to know these two men. These men were perverted men. Yes. They call them today homosexuals. Yeah. It's a euphemistic term almost of a perverted man. And so that crowd is just a wicked crowd. And by the way, I don't want to get too, but uh, nowadays this has become normal. Yes. In which people uh, are in your face. Uh, we used to like to see some Hallmark programs, you know, because it's touchy-feely kind of thing, but nowadays it's, it's wait a minute, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, stop, stop, wait a minute. Why are you introducing commercials and in programming two guys, two women? Why do you introduce that to a so-called family program? Why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? It's become the norm now. And you dare not speak out against it because they will kill you. They will trash you. They will, they will, they will, you lose your business. You don't make a cake for them, you lose your business. Now, they're not just passive people. Now, America is a free country. Do what you want to do as long as you can break the laws. But don't force me to do something I don't want to do. You see? And that's the real big problem over here. And so they surround the house. A lot of people for different reasons. Uh, now, verse 19, among the crowd is a certain scribe came and said unto him, Master, I will follow thee with the servant thou goest. The man may have good intentions. He comes to him. He wants to be, he's a scribe, <laughs> a very unlikely disciple of Christ. Uh, he wants to follow him. He says, I'll follow you with the servant thou goest. That means wherever you go. With the servant, it's not a real hard work. You'll find a new Bible. With the servant, wherever you go, I'll go. You go here, I'll go east, west, north, south. And all points in between, uh, wherever you go, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow. I'm going to be a disciple of yours. And uh, he says, verse number 20. Oh, by the way, this man may have been very sincere. He may have been caught up with the emotion of what's going on. You ever been to an Amway convention? Anybody? Or a multi-level kind of program, product thing? Oh, you get caught up in that thing. You want to be a distributor. You want to sell. It is so exciting. If you ever go to one, you'll never be the same. Or you never buy the product. Or you never want to be involved in that. But it's so much hype and so much, so much, it's so emotionally charged, you want to be a part of it. You didn't come in to be a part of it, but now you want to be a part of it. You can have your own business for $7.50. So they said back then. And uh, he may have gotten so involved with this, what was going on. I want to be a disciple. I want to follow you. I want to do. I want to experience the things that I have seen here. Verse 20. And Jesus said unto him something to him that discouraged him. Oh, wait a minute. He says something to him that was very real. And Jesus said unto him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Now, he did have a home in Capernaum as an adult. But he is saying, I travel a lot. I'm on my feet a lot. We go around a lot. We're not... Uh, and it's not um, five-star hotels. It's not Trump International Hotel. This is just where we can find a place to bed down for the night, find some rabbits to skin and eat, things like that. So you just being truthful with him, telling him the realities of being a disciple. Now, a disciple is someone who followed Christ, but they're not necessarily a disciple like one of the 12. So there's a crowd of people that always follow him. The crowd is swell. They're following him. They're called disciples. But then there are the disciples. He's not one of the disciples. He just wanted to follow him for his reasons. Look at verse 21. Another of his disciples said unto him, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Now imagine this scene if it was today. But the employer at the Hilton says, follow me. Keep on working. No, you must show up tomorrow. Let the dead bear the dead. How would you view that employer? Pretty harsh employer. Why am I working for you? You're so mean. Well, that's es essentially uh, what it seemed like here, where the man says, uh, I'd like to follow you, but I need to take care of this family matter first. But Jesus said unto him, follow me. Let the dead bear the dead. That seems pretty mean. That seems pretty cruel. Is the Lord cruel? No. Whenever you come to a verse that's hard to understand at the surface, at the first reading, just think about the character and nature of God. Amen. God is not cruel. God is not mean. He's not vindictive. He's just and he's right all the time. And so whatever he means, he you cannot side with a skeptic or some voice that says, you see, you see, Jesus is not love. You see, he's mean. You see, he's harsh. You can't think that way. Go by what you know is true and not by what you hear and what you hear people say. Don't listen to 
uh, the view to get your biblical opinions. You notice that all the people who are mean and unhappy, they have names like Joy. I don't know the other name, Faith, and whoever else, you people watch that. What, what, I don't know the other lady's name, but I know Joy's one of them. She is the most unlikable. She's the most unpleasant neighbor you could have. Oh, would hate to have her as a neighbor. Just always so sour. Um, so this other man comes, and he's told that the dead bear the dead. Now, it's not what it appears to say. It is not what it appears to, to teach. But uh, the Lord is trying to show the importance of discipleship. If you're going to follow me, it's a commitment. You're going to work for me, it's a commitment. You, you don't show up anytime you want to. You don't check out, clock out anytime you want to. You feel tired, you may have to keep on going. You have to keep on caring. You may have to keep on foraging for food. You may have to keep on doing a lot of things that you don't want to do in your flesh. Being a disciple is more than just saying, I'm a disciple, I got a badge. I signed the card. Being a disciple means you have to go through some, some things of life that might be kind of difficult, kind of hard, kind of, I'd rather watch the Super Bowl, but I can't. I'd rather go golfing, but you see, I'd rather sleep another five minutes, but I can't. It's my turn to be on watch. I'd rather, I'd rather, I'd rather. I think the point here is, he's stressing, you wanna follow me? Here's what's involved in following me. Sometimes your family is going to not understand you. Will you still follow me then? Sometimes it appears like you're just out of your mind to give up this career to follow me. It may seem to your neighbors that you have just, you're just radical extreme. What? You go to church on Sunday? You're going to, you plan to go to church every Sunday? You mean you can't go to pick and get us? My, my, my baby's first birthday. You, you can't do that. You think that little of us, so that, you, you mean church, you see how this all plays out. You seem like a real fool and a foolish person to be a disciple of Christ. And I think that's the emphasis of what he's saying here. And uh, now in Matthew chapter 8, verse number 23, the Lord does one more miracle. I'll let you cut this miracle before you take a break. This is a famous encounter of when the disciples are in a ship. These are the 12 disciples, not the mass of disciples, because uh, the boat was not that big. <laughs> Unless he had a princess cruise liner uh, that held 2,000 people, this was the 12 disciples. And behold, there arose a great tempest of the sea, a storm, insomuch that the ship was covered, ay, 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 with the waves, but he was asleep. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you have fishermen who are used to bad weather, bad, bad waters uh, in the lake of, uh, on the Sea of Galilee, and they're used to this kind of thing, but this one is extremely heavy. I've seen videos of people out in the Atlantic Ocean or the North Sea and they're going like that. I mean, it's like they're going for crab or whatever. And it's like you're up and down the water crashes, the waves crash over the deck and it's like, who wants that kind of a job? Well, some people are meant for that kind of job, not me. Yeah. I need to be on stable ground. And uh, it's not meant for a woman to be out there, by the way. Yeah. Even these oil rigs out in the, in the ocean, these big oil rigs, I mean, they're going like that, and they gotta go down in the in the gear, and they gotta do some welding underneath the water, all this kind of thing, and they're tossed about and all that, and they gotta just work like that. That's not a woman's job. Most men find that appealing. I don't. <laughs> I like a comfortable bed, hot running water, and a kitchen to cook in. I like that, I like stability. But um, here they are, they're fearful of their life. They say in verse 24, we perish. This is quite a storm for these fishermen to say we perish. They're used to bad weather, rough water, but this must have been pretty extreme for them to be afraid. And the Lord of all people, he's on the boat with them. What's he doing? Verse 24, he was asleep. This is kind of ironic. And he saith unto them, why are you so fearful, uh, O ye of the faith? Now, before I get to that part, he was asleep. Now the disciples, they reacted to the circumstances and they panicked with good reason, with good reason. It was not unreasonable for them to panic because the reality was they could drown. If you tossed overboard, they could drown. That's the reality, but uh, they were overcome by the circumstances. And here's Jesus bouncing around, but he's peaceful as can be. And then they wake him up and tell him, 
don't you know what's going on? We would say, what's the matter you? Brah. <laughs> Lord, save us. We perish. Now, they awoke him. So I can use that verse to teach that Jesus was woke. <laughs> the truth is, he was asleep as a man because he was tired. But as the Son of God, he was alert and awake to the circumstance that they're in. So their perception of him not caring was wrong because he did care for them. And he said unto them, verse 26, Why are you so fearful, O you little faith? Well, if the Lord is God and he allowed this to happen, and he did, what was the lesson for them to learn? Well, I think it was about faith, verse 26. Why are you so fearful? Or you have little faith. Their faith was not mature. Their faith was not strong. Their faith was not, you know, as they should be. And a circumstance like that, terrifying as it was, it shook them. Literally and internally, it shook them. It caused them to lose sight of who was with them. And their faith was not strong. So I think the Lord allowed this to happen to strengthen their faith. And then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea. And there was a great calm. Now remember in Genesis, he spoke, he said, he said, he said, nine times he said, it's done. He speaks, people are healed. He speaks, demons are cast out. Now he speaks to the wind and the waves, and what happens? They obey. Yes. Amen. So that boat going up and down, back and forth, like it's in a washing machine, now it's calming out, and the boat is going like this. And finally, it's just as calm as could be. And then they say this. The men marvel, verse 27, saying, What man of men is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? They had to be amazed. The Lord wanted to see how great he is. The Lord wanted to see, when they were amazed, it was like saying, Well, he is a, what? What kind of a man is this that we're following? This is amazing. I, I'm going to use the word wonderful. I, I think one of the reasons why the Lord allowed them to go through that storm is for them to realize that He is not just powerful, but He is wonderful. Yeah. And it is wonderful what He has done. He paid attention to them. He knows all about the circumstances, small things, big things. Healing of a leper, healing of a blind man, healing of an impotent man, healing of a, a, um, a, of a fever. From big things to small things, it shows that He cares for them and He is wonderful. Amen. Now, I don't use that word a lot because uh, maybe around Christmas time, uh, but one of the names of Jesus in Isaiah 9 is that his name is called Wonderful. Wonderful. Now, I'll have to stop on that good point because the truth is, the longer you live as a Christian, the more you realize that your Lord, who saved you many years ago perhaps, he is not only your Lord and Savior, but he is a wonderful yes. Lord and Savior. Amen. He is kind, he is gracious, he is good, he is long-suffering, long-suffering. He is patient, 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 patient. Sometimes grandkids make you impatient. I have a grandson I love. He's always talking. <laughs> First thing he does when he comes upstairs, he talks. And he, he, he never stops talking. <laughs> it's not wrong. It's not bad. It's just him exploring and wanting to know things. He's always talking. And um, it's not a problem. It's just that he talks. And the... You know, the older grandkids, they begin to see something about their grandpa. They begin to see that grandpa's not an old toad like they used to think when I was when they were younger. I remember Samuel's not here. I remember Samuel. Samuel used to always I used to thought I used to think three years ago Samuel was kinda like always challenging, you know. And I I, I really tried hard not to I complained to Miranda about it, but I really tried not to think, no, he's just challenging authority, but he was just wanting to know, wanting to grow, wanting to do things the right way, everything. And, and so now I think Samuel thinks his grandpa is wonderful <laughs> because his understanding of grandpa has matured. And his, what he has experienced with grandpa, he, he feels like grandpa is not such a bad dude after all. He's pretty, pretty cool actually. <laughs> I say that in jest, okay? <laughs> to say that the disciples, they knew about what he could do they saw it, they witnessed it, 
did some themselves, but they didn't really know how much he cared for them. He didn't, didn't really know how much he is so caring for them by letting them go through some hardship, some rough water, so that they can see some things about themselves. Their faith was weak, and that he was great, and he is wonderful. Amen. And so just like you live a long time with someone, you know more about them than you did the first five years, first ten years, and it's just the way it goes. And um, so those are some lessons that I think they had to learn by going through a storm. Now we're going to continue next week about the life of Christ. And so I want to pass those things on to you. So he has power over all diseases, all demons, all devils, has power over them, power over creation. And the thing that we want to do as a Christian is to learn how to be submissive to him. Yes. Learn how to obey him because he does know better. And um, letting God do as he wills will please us. And you look back one day and say, that was a lot of affliction. <laughs> that was a lot of affliction. Remember that storm? Andrew, remember that storm? Andrew, Peter, remember when we was in that water at the time? Oh, man, I was sick as a dog. And uh, and then somebody says, are you from the south? That's a southern expression, sick as a dog. And uh, yeah, I remember that, man, we were so scared. Yeah, I remember we were so scared. Oh, I was going to lose, so scared. We were going to lose the Super Bowl. We were so scared. But then he pulled us through. And remember when he said, remember he rebuked the wind? He said, shh. He said, hush. And then all of a sudden, the howling stopped. It all ceased. And the boat became calm. And we were so relieved. Remember that, James? Remember that? Oh, what a night that was. And you know what? Silly me. Back then, I was so worried about dying. I was so scared. I should have known. It wasn't going to happen because he was with us in the boat. Amen. I should have known that. And he was sleeping. And we should, guys, we should, guys, we should have known that even though he was sleeping, he was awake. Yeah. <laughs> even though he was sleeping, he was like this. Yeah. <laughs> he saw everything. He was going to take action. He was going to take it. We should have known better than that. Our faith was weak, like he said. But now we know better. Praise the Lord. Okay, uh, let's take a short break.